Hey guys, like Jordan said, my name is Drew. I'm excited to go into our second week studying through the Gospel of Mark this morning. And essentially, the reason that we picked the Gospel of Mark is we're hoping that there's a lot of you here who are new Christians or non-Christians, and we want to give you a picture from the Bible of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, I don't know what your perception of following Jesus is, but I remember at a time in my life where my perception of following Jesus was mainly negative, and I think it was a pretty direct result of being involved in a youth group. Hey, let me explain that for a second. I remember going to youth group and sitting in the back, and there was sort of this normal testimony that would happen. For those of you who aren't familiar with the term testimony, it's when people share their story about how Jesus has changed their life. And so various people would get up and they would share their testimony, and every testimony essentially followed the same basic structure. Before I came to know Jesus, my life was terrible and awful and no good. And then I put my trust in Jesus, and now everything in my life is absolutely fantastic. And I remember hearing that and kind of looking around at everybody else and thinking about myself and thinking, you know what, my story is, if I'm honest, is before I knew Jesus, my life was terrible, and I came to know him, and he kind of wrecked it even more. (laughs) I'm like, does anyone else feel this way at all? The question is, whose experience is more valid with what the Bible actually teaches? Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, we're looking at verses 14 through 45. So I'm about to read a really long passage of scripture. So stick with me on this. I believe in you guys. And what we're going to see is that following Jesus is unsettling. Following Jesus is unsettling. Let's just be honest about this from the outset. Starting with verse 14, Mark chapter 1. It'll be on the screens as well. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. 
And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to freely talk about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. So I hope you feel like I do a little bit. You're trying to catch your breath. You've got all these immediately's and all these stories stacked one after another, and we see these beautiful but at times unsettling pictures of Jesus. There's no way that we're going to be able to say everything that is in this text about Jesus, but as we look at this theme of following Jesus being unsettling, we're going to look at five unsettling events that the disciples have in their first interactions with Jesus. We're going to see their radical calling, his astonishing teaching, his amazing power, his baffling priorities, and his breathtaking compassion. So let's just take those one at a time. First of all, we see his radical calling of the disciples. We're looking again at Mark chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. He's already called Simon and Andrew, remember Simon is also called Peter, and he's the one on whom the events of the Gospel of Mark are based. It's his testimony. And so he's remembering these events. Mark chapter 1, 19 through 20, he's already been called by Jesus, along with his brother Andrew. And it says, and going on a little further, he, that's Jesus, saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and he left And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, I think sometimes we miss how radical Jesus' calling of his first disciples was. So get this. John and James, their brothers, they're in a boat. The texts give us no indication of if they've ever had a previous interaction with Jesus before. It says that they're mending a net, which means that the net is broken. And it says they're in the boat with two of their father's hired servants and their dad, Zebedee. Let's call him Zeb. Okay, so they're all hanging out in the boat together. And all of a sudden, Jesus, who they might have known as a carpenter turned rabbi, just comes up to the edge of the lake and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It says immediately they followed him. Now, let me give you a little bit of of context to this. Okay, 
In that day, in order to find out what your job was going to be, you didn't have to search very hard. You didn't go to college. Instead, you just did whatever your dad did. And so the reason that James and John are fishermen is because their dad, Zeb, is a fisherman. And so they're in the boat as his workers, but also as his apprentices. The way that families survived from generation to generation was by passing the trade on to the next generation. But unfortunately, Zeb didn't have enough sons. He only had two, but apparently he needed four. And so he had to hire out two hired servants. So when Jesus says, leave the fishing industry to James and John, what he's saying is, leave everything that is familiar to you, and it might so happen that it leaves your family destitute. They don't even hesitate. It's a no-brainer to them. It says immediately they left, which likely means they dove into the water. They just jumped ship. I think immediately we would all think, this is like the stupidest decision ever. Like as rational Westerners, we're like, did they not think through this? Did they not think through the financial implications of this? and how this would affect their 401k in the future, this is not a good idea. And Jesus does not seem to care about the little priorities that we have for our life. What is happening in this text is not some simple human being coming and saying to other human beings, come follow me. The way that the Bible describes what is happening here is the same way that it describes when God spoke the universe into being. Scripture says that the God who set, said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. You see, when Jesus called James and John, they experienced the call of God on their lives. When you meet Jesus, he totally messes with you. I remember hearing the story of this woman that I knew and how she was called by God to go to the mission field. Her name's Betty. And Betty went to a small country church, and that week there was a man speaking at the church, actually a young man in his 20s. He was speaking at the church, and he was sharing about how he was going to go in two weeks to be a missionary in Nepal and needed some extra funding. And so he was at this church asking for funding and sharing the vision of his ministry. And as he was sharing, Betty was in the crowd and she heard him talking and she began to experience this type of call that I'm talking about. Like, I think that Jesus is calling me to go to Nepal. And so after this service, just less than 100 people there or whatever, she goes up to Don, and she says, I think that God is calling me to go to Nepal. And Don, without hesitating, goes, will you marry me? <laughs> she said, yes. They were married two weeks later, went to Nepal together, and have been there for 35 years. That's the call of God. Often, we try to set up the priorities of our own life. We try to run our own life. But when you meet Jesus, 
the first thing he does is bulldoze all of your plans. And he says, come follow me. I'll give you a better vision for your life. And so you've got Andrew, you've got Simon, you've got James, John. They're following after Jesus. And they begin to see some incredible things. The first thing that we see that they see in this text is astonishing teaching. Mark chapter 1, verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Okay, so understand this. The place where Jesus entered the synagogue to teach was in a town of about 1,500 people and in a very unpopulated region of the world. It's actually likely that as he walked into the synagogue that a lot of people would have known him as the carpenter-turned-rabbi. And they're like, okay, what are these guys doing? I'm assuming that James and John's clothes are still wet as they walk in from jumping in the lake. And so they all walk right in to the synagogue. And, I mean, there might have been 50 people there, something like that. And they're like, well, Jesus, he's a new rabbi. Let's let him have a shot at teaching, right? And it says that um, as Jesus was teaching, it says that he spoke with authority and not like their scribes. Now, how would you like to be the guy who taught the week before God showed up to preach the sermon, (laughs) right? So I don't know if this is like a slam on the scribes or this is kind of letting them off the hook, right? So Jesus shows up, opens up the Bible. We don't exactly know what he says. He likely taught from some Old Testament passage and the place went absolutely silent And literally, what the passage says is they were shocked by his teaching. And even more literally, it says that they got hit upside the head by his teaching. They were floored and flattened by it. Now imagine this. Some of you are from small towns, and you know what kind of atmosphere there is in a small town. Everybody knows everything about everybody. There's a lot of gossip that sort of goes around and people are always talking about everybody else. And so if you're the new preacher in town and you go into the synagogue, it is totally not cool to, in your first message, just smack everybody upside the head. So you imagine being one of these disciples there and you're like, I know that Jesus called me to jump out of the boat but I'm kind of feeling like maybe I should go get back in the boat because I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed by how bold this guy is being about the truth. And if there's something that today, as Christ followers, that we can be embarrassed about, it's the shocking nature of the things that this book says, that the word of God says. Do you ever feel just this twinge of embarrassment when you think about things that you believe as a Christian? Like if you were to tell your coworkers, like, I actually do believe that there's a heaven and a hell. Or I actually do believe that there's absolute truth and that God is holy and holds the line and has a standard 
and that if you don't keep that, that you are deserving of eternal punishment. You start just listing off the things that Jesus could have said here and does say throughout his word, and you can't say that your testimony is, oh yeah, I came to know Jesus and my life has just been great since then. You have to say that you're bothered, that you're unsettled, that when he speaks in this kind of truth, that it really feels like not, oh, I'm having happy Jesus feelings, like he just holds lambs and kind of brushes his hair, but you're feeling like you got hit upside the head by a two by four. It feels that way to follow Jesus sometimes. Okay, so you got this radical calling, he asks you to do crazy stuff, you're feeling this authoritative teaching and you're hearing it as you read his word. And then it gets even crazier. Occasionally in the Christian life, you experience the amazing power of Jesus. Look what happens, okay? So Jesus whacks them upside the head with the truth. And then they're like still kind of staggering from that. And you think, okay, he's done with his sermon. We can kind of move on with life. And they're trying to get out the door and get home. And then this is what happens next, Mark 127. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So you remember when I read the whole story, what happened? This guy comes in, crazy guy, going nuts. And he just runs into the middle of the synagogue and he's like, you are the Holy One of God. And he's like, you know, foaming at the mouth and all this crazy stuff is happening. People are like, what's going to happen? What's Jesus going to do? And Jesus rebukes the evil spirit that is inside of this guy. And all of a sudden, the guy is sitting there and he's completely fine. And the demon has been exercised. And all of these people, it says, they're amazed. Literally means they're frightened. But let me, let me tell you this. They're not frightened because of the demon-possessed guy. They were at first. Everybody gets a little freaked out by demon-possessed people, right? But what they're freaked out by is Jesus. Who is this that even the unclean spirits obey him? We thought this was a carpenter turned rabbi, but I don't know any carpenters who can exercise demons. So what's happening here? They're not frightened by the demon. They're frightened by Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation where your fear just turns on itself right away? I remember this experience. We were dog sitting, and um, we were dog sitting this little skipper key dog. It's like this, you know, little black dog. And I went for a walk with my parents with this dog. And we came around the corner, and there was this family that had this massive German shepherd. And the German shepherd saw us walking with this little dog on a leash. And so the German shepherd just comes tearing over this hill right toward us. And I think it had a shot collar on, but it had been known to just run right through the shot collar if it wanted to. And so I'm like, you know, probably fifth grade or something like that, like, holy cow, I'm going to die. I'm terrified of this German shepherd. And all of a sudden, my dad was sort of on the outside of the street, I was on the inside, and all of a sudden, I just see my dad, like 6'2", 230, big guy, 
just runs at this dog and goes, ah! And the dog literally is running right at us, just goes, ah! and just runs the other way. All of a sudden, I went from being terrified of the dog to terrified of my dad. I'm like, who is this man? Even the dogs cower in his presence. That's what happens here. These people, they're like, we're scared of the demon. We're really scared of Jesus. Even the unclean spirits obey him. Guys, there is no power in this world. The power of our culture, the power of the pull of sin, the power of Satan, the power of any demon that can stand in the presence of Jesus. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you know Jesus, you know the right person. He is stronger than you, he is fighting for you, and he is with you, and he loves you. You unsettled yet? So we see that Jesus has radically called the disciples. Man, he's astonished them with his teaching. He's amazed them with his power. And then he baffles them with his priorities. Look again at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 38. Rising very, very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, that's Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Now, if, the, if you just have a sort of a cursory reading of this passage, you'll think, Oh, that's cool. Jesus set its example by going out and praying. And we should also withdraw to desolate places and pray, which is true. But if you actually think about this story, you might begin to think that Jesus was one of the most inconsiderate human beings to ever live. Okay, think about this. It says he rose very early in the morning. So get this. He just called the disciples. They're unsettled. He's teaching, driving out demons. They go to sleep. They wake up. Jesus has said, follow me. They maybe wake up at six. He woke up at four. They're like, where's Jesus? And he didn't even leave a post-it note, right? Like, that's what my mom taught me growing up, is if you go somewhere and no one's around, you should somehow let them know where you're going. And this was way back in the day, before the time of cellular devices. And um, so the way that I would do that is if I left to go someplace, I would write, Went to Walmart, be back in two hours on the post-it note. And my mom taught me that that's the right thing to do. And the disciples apparently thought that would have been the considerate thing for Jesus to do as well. But here's the thing. Jesus often doesn't care about our social sensibilities. He gets up early in the morning because he's on a mission. He goes out to pray. The disciples come to him and they're like, everybody is looking for you. 
And it gets worse. He doesn't even respond. Like, we've been looking for you for a few hours and we couldn't find you. It would have been nice if you would have let us know where you were going. And what's Jesus' response? Do you see that? He says, let's go on to the next town so I can preach there also. That's why I came out. And the disciples, I think at that moment, they're like, do we want to follow this guy? Got to be kidding me. Do you ever feel this way in your relationship with Jesus? Like you're asking him for things, you're trusting him for things, and you feel like he just doesn't show up. He's not where you want him to be when you want him to be there. Feels like he's on a little bit different mission than you're on with your life. And you feel like the disciples feel. And you come to to Jesus and you're like, I've been looking for you everywhere and I haven't been able to find you. And then it seems as if Jesus says something to you like he says to the disciples. Like, I want you to do evangelism. I'm like, no! I want you to heal my mom. I want you to help me solve my emotional issues. I want you to get on my mission in my priorities. And Jesus will every single time baffle you with the plane that he lives on in relationship to the plane that you live on. Maybe one of the most unsettling things about following after Jesus. Okay, but before you decide to sort of write Jesus off, like you're like thinking, I don't know about this. If this is what I'm signing up for, I don't know that that's somebody that I want to follow. You got to stick with me. Last thing we see in this passage from Jesus is his breathtaking compassion. Verses 40 through 42. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. So here's what you need to know about leprosy. The first thing is, it's an absolutely horrible disease. The first thing that happens is your skin sort of develops these scaly looking things, like scabs and things like that. Then it gets really flaky and pieces of it start to fall off. And then the third and most awful and terrible thing that happens is, you literally start to rot from the outside in. Big chunks of your flesh start falling off and you lose the ability to feel pain. I mean, it ostracizes you from society in almost every way because people don't want to be seen by you, they don't want to be associated with you, and they don't want to have what you have. But to make matters even worse, there was a moral and religious connotation to having leprosy. Even though this is not taught in the Old Testament, people came to believe that leprosy was a direct punishment for sin. Which meant, 
if you had leprosy, not only did the larger society believe that you were worse than them, but you actually came to believe that you were worse than them. Maybe the worst part about having leprosy would have been the psychological trauma that you would experience from trying to dig into your own soul and discern which sin from your past had invited God's wrath in your life so that he struck you with leprosy. But here's what happens. This leper hears about this crazy new rabbi named Jesus. And he thinks, this guy is countercultural enough, he's different enough, he's messing with people and unsettling things, maybe, just maybe, he would heal me. And I think because of the religious and moral connotations and all of those things, I think that he's thinking both about his physical healing and his spiritual healing. Jesus often uses physical healings as a parable for the deeper healing that people need. So you imagine there's a crowd of people and this guy with leprosy who's not even supposed to be around other people, he's supposed to be walking around the city yelling, unclean, 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 to alert people that he's coming into their presence so they don't get what he has. He falls down on his knees before Jesus and he says, Will you please heal me? It would have been unthinkable for Jesus just simply to say yes. But Jesus does something that blows absolutely any category that anyone had then and any category that any of us have now. He laid his hands on a man who had a skin disease. He touched him. And he said to him, I will heal you. Be clean. And the leprosy disappeared from his skin. And the sin was forgiven in his heart. Jesus not only healed the outside, but I believe he healed the inside of this man's soul, took away his guilt, took away his shame. And right after this passage, it says Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody about this. And the guy's like, don't tell anybody about this. Maybe I should use this to like compel us for evangelism. It's like, instead of saying, do tell people about this, I use reverse psychology and say, don't tell anybody. Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. But it is such breathtakingly good news that this man can't help telling everyone. Here's my sense. Some of you feel the same way today that I did for years and years growing up in the church. You might not have leprosy, on your skin, but you do on your heart. And you're here 
this morning and you're wondering if I follow Jesus, if I give my life to him, will he accept me? Could Jesus love me? You don't know my brokenness. You don't know my sin. You don't know my thoughts. You don't know my feelings. You don't know my actions. You don't know how hard it was for me just to come to church this morning because I just think the word church and I immediately feel this wave in the sense of all my failures and all my imperfection. And I just feel like God hates me and like church people hate me. You have to hear this. You have to know that Jesus is so crazy and his love is so scandalous that he will not only reach out and touch you and heal you, but he did something even more loving, even more significant than that. You see, all of these miracles are meant to point us to one great and grand miracle. And that is Jesus hanging on the cross in our place for our sin. And on the cross, what Jesus says is, you think that my calling of you is radical. You think that my teaching is astonishing. You think that my ability to cast demons out is amazing. You think my priorities are baffling. And you think my compassion on this leper was breathtaking. Look at the cross. You haven't seen anything yet. We have a God who became human, and because of his great love for us, he died for us. The answer to the question, will God accept me, is 1,000% yes. He loves you, not because you're great, because of what he did for you on the cross. Will you come to him? Will you be willing to be unsettled by him, to follow him, to leave your old life behind so that you can experience the deepest possible healing in the presence of his love? Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing. Thank you that you blow all of our categories, that you upset our social conventions, that you are like no one else in a category by yourself. Because only someone as radical as you would be willing to die for us. I want to pray for that person who just right now, they're just wrestling in their heart. They're just saying, this seems like it's too good to be true. Would you just affirm to them by your spirit that it is so good that it has to be true? And would you let them know that Jesus didn't just die for the whole world in general, but he died for them specifically? Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.